Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter in chapter number 2. We're taking a quick little pause because of circumstances out of our Sunday school series we're currently on, and we'll get back into it next week. But with the things going on in our church and with the things going on in the government, we have an opportunity to learn from the circumstances that God has for us. Now, of course, the circumstances are with uh, the virus that has been going around. Our governor has saw fit to cause a mask mandate. And uh, it's nothing new. 31 states have already passed this. So it was just a matter of time. But for us, it's... (coughs) A time that we get to examine ourselves. Because I'll be honest, I hate it. I dislike it. We could put all kinds of rules for it. Other people may disagree with me, but that's fine. But it's interesting to note what comes up when you think about these things. And so if you don't mind, turn with me to the book of First Peter chapter number 2. And again, we're teaching a very special message today on our part of this What happens when authority gives us something we don't like, when we don't agree with? Because sooner or later, your authority in your life, some biblical authority, is going to give you something you don't like. How do we respond to it? How do we deal with it? How do we deal with it biblically? And then we have to recognize how we want to deal with it fleshly. We all know how we want to deal with it fleshly. You know, again, it doesn't have to be this specific mandate. It can be something else. For example, let me give you an In the Air Force, we had plenty of stupid rules. Military isn't good for them. And one of the rules that we had is that for us who lived in the dorms, we were not allowed to have any trash in our trash can. We would actually get in trouble if we had trash in our trash can. And of course, you know, we would ask and say, all right, well, we want to understand the rule. Why? And pretty much it said, because this is the rule, do it. You know that's an acceptable answer. It's not what we like, but that's an acceptable answer. The Bible talks about in the book of uh, Proverbs that it's talking about, My son, obey your mother's laws and your father's commandments. What do mothers have? Laws. Fathers have commandments. Because I said so is a biblical answer. Now, we don't like it. We want the explanation, but the Bible also gives a further principle that if we submit ourselves to the Lord, that understanding comes later. It's obedience first, then understanding. God oftentimes wants to see if we're willing to obey, even if it doesn't make sense. That's part of this idea of submission. And so because we had a lot of good feedback of an article I put out yesterday and a lot of good questions that came along with it. I figured that I would answer questions all at once and have a very special uh, explanation of explaining biblical submission, explaining what the Bible says about it, because I think we, as we've been preparing for revival, this is just the next test. This is the next step. This is the place that we desire. Do we really want revival or do we stop? Do we want to follow through with what God has for us? Or are we drawing a line and say, I want all the way up to here, but I won't go any further. And so with that, we're going to be looking a lot in the book of Peter. We're going to start off in 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. And as we're turning there, let me remind you what the book of 1 and 2 Peter are about. 1 and 2 Peter is written about 64 A.D. And it's coming at the time where persecution is right around the corner. The Roman emperor at the time is Nero. And Nero is starting to go crazy. Now he's always been crazy. But now he is fixing a snap. We understand that through history that Nero, the Roman emperor, always imagined himself as a great director. 
And so through one of his whims, he decided to burn down the city of Rome. Now, most of Rome were little, almost like shanty towns where houses were built out of wood and they were built right close together. And so when Rome started to catch on fire, the whole thing caught on fire. And it was said that as Rome burned, that Nero stood in one of his palaces away from the city a little bit and just imagined the city burning as a great backdrop. And he imagined a great play and he was the orchestrator behind it. In fact, there was an old adage that came out of it that Nero fiddled as Rome burned. And it comes from that idea. Well, after he burnt down Rome, some people were suspecting him, so he had a Cast the blame away. So he said, you know what? It wasn't me. It was those Christians. Now at this time, Christians were a safe scapegoat. First of all, they were people who had learned submission. We'll cover that in a second. They had also had no country. So, you know, if you said it was those Turks, well, then the uh, country of Turkey can go against you. If it was those Arabians, well, then the Arabians. You know, but the Christians had no country. They had no government backup. Second of all, that many people were already suspicious of Christians because they had started to spread rumors. You know those Christians? They're vampires. They drink the blood of their leaders. You know what those Christians? They're cannibals. They eat the body of people. And so there was rumors out. So Christians were a a great scapegoat for him. And so he said, it was the Christians that burnt down Rome. Let's have war on the Christian and we will show them that we will not tolerate their nonsense in destroying our country. Now, of course, we know that he was the bad guy. And persecution is right around the corner as Peter is writing first and second Peter, which is, by the way, uh, a fulfillment of prophecy when Jesus looked at Peter and said, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. This is part of that strengthening the brethren. And so the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter are used to help prepare the church, those saved people, those who are scattered, to prepare them for persecution which is over the corner. Right around the corner there's persecution. But interesting enough, the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter are also our main sources of clear text on submission to authority. That almost doesn't sound like it works together. The government is going to persecute you. Well, that's horrible. And so now you need to learn to live like a Christian now. Get in the habit now. And part of what you need to learn is to submit to authority. What? But this is how God works. This is how God brings revival to God's people. Is because it doesn't make sense to the lost world. Because you say you need to submit to authority. You need to submit to Nero. But Nero's trying to kill us. Yes. You may not be able to trust Nero. But can you trust God? Now let's be honest. At the moment. And we say at the moment. We are not in any danger of the government coming. Now, other places in the country, yes, today they're having issues. But how do we respond to a government that's antagonistic to us? How do we respond to a government that makes rules that we don't like? Well, that's a valid question and probably more applicable today than probably any other time so far. So, what does the Bible say? Now, I've given you a lot of introduction. Let's see what the Bible says. Turn with me, first of all, to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 2. The book of 1 Peter, chapter number 2. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse 13. 1 Peter, chapter 2, and verse number 13. Submit. Oh, we hate that word. Submit yourselves to every ordinance or order of man For the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For this, for so is, so 
verse 15, for so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now, there's a lot in this passage here. Notice what it says in verse 13. It starts with that dreaded word, submit. Now, why is this word such a hated word? And it's become even more hated within the 20th century and now in the 21st century. Because people have the idea of submitting as the idea of giving up. It carries the idea, especially when people misuse a passage, Woman, submit to your husband. Wives, submit. And they make it as like an overlord connotation. But that's not what it's meant to be. Submission is actually a wonderful thing that God has given to us. Because when we have the umbrella of authority over us, we have something that is protecting us and guarding us. And it comes to the idea, can we trust God? We'll get more into that in just a bit. But just taking this passage, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Why should we obey a stupid rule that doesn't make medical sense? That doesn't make scientific sense? Why should we submit for the Lord's sake? We're not doing it for the king, for the governor. We do it because we trust God. God knows what he's doing. Can we trust him? Notice as it goes on, <coughs> um, <coughs> whether it be to the king as supreme or in a governor's, as unto them that are sent by him. Notice that him. That pronoun there is the antecedent is the Lord. That God is the one who instituted government. God is the one who put it into practice. The Bible talks about the hand, heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. God is their authority. And so we need to trust him. Now we understand there is a principle that we obey in our visible authority so we can obey invisible authority. That it's all about God. We look past the circumstances and see the God of the circumstances. That it begins with God. It ends with God. God is the goal. You know, God is just as interested as the process of getting to the goal as he is to the final thing. In fact, he's probably more concerned how we get there than just to get there. Notice as it goes on. <coughs> In verse number 15. For so is the will of God. Well, that kind of settles it all. What is God's will for my life? Well, as a teacher, I used to tell students this. If the, if the teacher gives you homework, guess what God's will for your life is? For you to do homework. That's God's will. If your parents, and I used to do this with uh, kids who were grumpy about being Christian, going to Christian school. And yes, kids did get grumpy and sideways for going to Christian school. I don't understand why I can't be in public school with my friends. Why do I have to be in this stupid place with your rules? Did your parents send you here? Yes. Then what is God's will for you? For you to be here. Now, of course, they don't like that answer. But this is what God is... For this is the will of God. That God uses authority to help direct our path. Now, again, that's a safety net if we're able to trust God. That God is able to direct our path. And he uses authority to do so. For example, as a practical thing. Let's say that there is as a decision coming up for the church. And it's a major thing. How should you pray? Well, you should pray that God gives wisdom to the pastor. And to the leadership of the church. Because God directs through leadership. God will direct our path. And that we direct it this way. God uses authority. Notice as it goes on. Verse 15, for so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
Here we see there's a power in submission. We'll see this in a different passage a little bit later. But there's a, a, a power in submission. That we may be able to trust God, even though authority is given a stupid rule. Can we trust God? And as we submit to Him and have a meek and quiet spirit, they can't say anything against us. Because what authority, who is wrong, wants us to do is rebel. And God never, never, never gives us the authority to rebel. We'll cover that in just a bit. But He never gives us authority to rebel. Rebellion is a fleshly thing. It's a thing of the heart. But when we learn to submit with things, especially when they know that we don't agree with, it puts them to silence. They can't say anything towards it. In fact, it draws them closer to our God. Let me pause here and give an example. During the Middle Ages and through the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestants killed over 50 million Baptistic people. Now, we know in the Holocaust that Adolf Hitler and his final solution killed 6 million Jews, 8 million people, period. But 50 million Baptistic people were killed. And it's documented. You have stuff like Fox's Book of Martyrs, which in its original form was volumes, thick volumes. People, uh, they condensed it down because so many stories were the same. But they would come to the place where the Roman Catholics would arrest Bible-believing people for not following Catholic doctrine. And what would happen is that they would put them on the torture rack, you know, where they would tie their legs and put their hands and stretch them out. And yet God's presence was there. So that way when the, uh, the Catholic soldiers came to release them, they would say, please don't release us. God is so real to us right here. And they would scratch their head and say, that doesn't make sense. They would watch as they would burn heretics, Baptistic people, to the stake. And what they would do is they would set up the fire and then they would put a bag of gunpowder called a faggot and they would put it around their neck. And so as the fire would burn them, that eventually it would catch the gunpowder and then it would blow their head off. And they would watch as Christians who submitted themselves to the Lord, even in this, would be singing hymns and quoting scripture. And the Roman Catholic soldiers would go to their leaders and say, can you put us to death? Because whatever they have, we want that. Imagine that. Why? Because they were submitted unto God. And it drew them close. You say it doesn't make sense. But that's what God's presence does. It may not make sense, but they knew there was something to it. Again, it says, for this for so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We have other passages that will tell what I just said. But this submission draws people to the Lord. And they say there's something different about this. There's something different. That's not how normal people respond. It does when we submit to God that God does something in our lives and draws them near. Now, we're not saying that when you submit to God, you're not going to be killed. Those people were killed. But God used their death. We take the example of John Huss in the 1400s. John Huss, before the Protestant Reformation, was uh, one of the forerunners. And he was used of God. An amazing way to preach within Bohemia. And as he would begin to preach and begin to get followers, of course, the Catholics did not like that. And so they arrested John Huss and they arrested his wife. Well, John Huss was <laughs> killed and, um, and martyred for the cause. His wife, Lady Huss, was also sentenced to death. And for, <laughs> she of course had wore a black dress during prison after her husband died. But the day of her execution, they were surprised to find her in a white dress. Like, you know you're going to die today. 
She goes, yes, I'm looking forward to meet my Savior and meet my husband again. Why shouldn't I be excited about this? And so as they begin to drag her through the town square, heading to her execution, she was witnessing towards Christ and saying, believe on Him, trust in Him, trust in Him. And so what happened is that they kept telling her, stop it, stop it. If you do it again, we're going to rip out your tongue. She refused to, and so they stopped the progression. And they ripped out her tongue in the middle of the street. Even with her tongue ripped out and they're bringing her on. She just kept pointing to the Lord all the way up to the stake. Of course, as we see, because of the martyrdom of John Huss and Lady Huss and their testimony even unto death. Submitting even unto this. That a group of people that became one of the greatest missionary groups called the Moravians. Came out of this group. And of course, if you trace the influence of the Moravians and how even in the 1700s, they were sending out missionaries across the world. Even before our country was even a country. And even before England had sparked off their following after the Lord and sending missionaries, the Moravians were already doing so. Because of a testimony of John Huss and his wife. Submitting and having the power of God. Because they were submitting and trusting God. For this was the will of God. Notice verse 16. As free, not using your liberty. Notice that. Your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. One of our problems, especially as weak, feeble, spoiled, brat Americans. Is our rights. My rights. We spend so much time fighting for my rights. I can do this. There's nothing unbiblical about this. I can do it if I want to. Well, the Bible talks about that we surrender our rights. How do we are we filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way? It's not by fighting. It's by surrendering. That is, we surrender our goals, our ambitions, our desires, our thoughts to the Lord that God fills us. And he gets accomplished what he wants to get accomplished. That even being filled with the Holy Spirit requires submission to God. And the surrender of our rights. As long as we're fighting for our rights. I can do this. There's nothing wrong with this. As long as we're concerned about our liberty. We don't have God's power. It comes with submission. Now I know this isn't popular preaching. Because Americans, even Christian Americans, love to fight for our rights. I can do this and get away with it. There's nothing wrong with it. Notice in verse 17, as it summarizes this passage, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Who's the king? Nero. Nero. He is the king of the Roman Empire right now. And here it is. Honor the king. We know Apostle Paul said the same thing in the book of Timothy. That Nero is going crazy. Paul is in prison and he's still telling uh, Timothy to honor the king. This is the same guy who's putting me to death. Honor him. He's God's authority. Submit. What? Yeah, it doesn't make sense to the world. And it doesn't make sense to our flesh. And God says it doesn't have to make sense. Will you obey? Will you trust me? Verse 18. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle. But also to the forward. So it's easy to submit to authority that's doing right and doing good. But here God says you're also supposed to submit to the authority who's evil and bad and hate you. There's no thing that I only obey if authority is nice to me. The Bible says, no, you obey authority because they're authority. Even if they're evil and wicked and nasty. That's what, exactly what that forward means there. They're harsh and evil. God took care of all the contingencies. Because we would love to say, these are the conditions of my submission. As long as they're nice to me, give me lollipops and pat me on the head. I have no problems. But as soon as they do something I don't like... No, I won't follow you. That's, that's the flesh. We like to rebel against that. But that's not what the Bible says. 
turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Peter, <laughs> chapter number 3. Uh, verse number, uh, chapter 5, and then we'll hit chapter 3. Uh, 1 Peter, chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5, and notice with me, verses 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. There's that word, submit. You younger, submit yourself to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he, that he may exalt you in due time. The Bible says you need to submit yourselves to those in authority as unto the Lord. And if you humble yourselves, God will exalt you. Here we could see that there are promises that come with submission. That as we submit ourselves, God gives us grace. God gives us humble. By the way, this is one of the requirements to have revival. And we've been talking a lot about revival. And we believe that revival is getting ready to do something here. And so it's no wonder that God says, if you truly want revival, let's put you to the test. You know, we believe that God is in control of everything. And that God's timing... Could it be that God allowed the governor to finally make that decision after months of him saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then all of a sudden he does it for us. Could God have done something to the entire state for this church? I believe he does. I believe he can. I believe God's timing is perfect. Now, it might not be the only reason, but it could be some reason. Because if we truly want revival, this is our next test. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about fasting. Now we get to talk about submission. Do we want revival? That God says he, if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us in good time. If we learn this idea, can we trust God? And if we could trust God, then we're willing to submit to authority, even if they're stupid. Even if the rule doesn't make sense. Even if it's something like you can't have trash in your trash can. God says that. Now, I, I use some things in the article I put in Deuteronomy where God says, I did this to prove you to see if you'll keep my commandments. By the way, that happens often. You'll read all throughout the book of Deuteronomy and check out that word prove and you'll find it pop up often where God says, I proved you to see your heart. I proved you to see if you're going to keep my commandments. I proved you. I put you in a situation to see how you were going to respond. Thank you, Lord. Because it's all a matter of the heart. What is submission anyways? Submission is when we willingly place ourselves under the authority of another. But we have to further define it. It's not just placing ourselves under the authority. It's delighting in it. That's the key. Can we do it without murmuring and complaining? Of course, I use this illustration often. But we could um, relate to it. You tell your teenager to go clean their room. Yeah. They may go do the act, but they're not submitted. Submitted is a heart matter. How can I tell if I'm submitted? Are you murmuring and complaining about it? You know, you can comply. And by the way, this is our test. Most of us have enough sense that we say, all right, fine, I'll do it because I have to. Well, that's not submission, that's compliance. Submission is delighting in it. Praise the Lord that God has given me the opportunity to prove my Lord love towards him by giving me a test. Now that's hard to swallow. We have an issue with that. But can you trust the Lord? Are you willing to set down your will for someone else's for the Lord's sake? Now, at the same time, submission isn't silence. Turn back with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. And let me show you one of the hardest examples in the Bible to follow. Notice with me in 1 Peter chapter number 3. Notice with me in verse 1. Likewise, ye wives. Now, it's talking about likewise. You trace it all the way up. It's talking about how Christ submitted himself to God's will to go to the cross. 
And as an example to that, by the way, Jesus didn't rail, he didn't gossip, he didn't yell at the people while he was on the cross and say, I'm going to get you, you just wait. It says, because of the example of the cross, uh, Jesus dying on the cross, likewise, in the same manner, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. So here's a scenario. A saved wife has a husband that does not follow the Bible. So does it say in the next uh, passage here that wives, if your husband doesn't listen to the Bible, you take the Bible and you whap him upside the head. Some of you have tried that and found it didn't work. How do we how does it how do we do this then? Do we beat him over the head? Do we yell at him? Do we brand them? Do we just stare at him and browbeat? How do we deal with this? Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation or behavior of the wives. This covers every scenario. It's giving a specific scenario, but it covers any scenario. Do we currently have a governor who does not believe in the Bible? Yes. No, by no stretch of the imagination does our governor believe in the Bible. But you know that we could influence him as Christians by how we respond to his mandate. Now, we've already had plenty of Christians who have ruined this right now by sending death threats and threatening workers and whatever else. And that's horrible and wicked. And we're losing influence. But the Bible says that he could be one if we submitted. But remember, submission's not silence. But we could influence them and say, there's something this. I know they disagree with me, but they're submitting. What is this? That causes them to be puzzled. By the way, husbands are confused over this too. What in the world's wrong with her? It may take a while. They'll watch her and see if this is just a phase. Did she just get religion? Does she want something? But they'll watch her for a while. They may not say anything, but they're watching. And it confuses them. They want to see if it's going to last. Notice as it goes on. Verse number two, while they behold, or they're watching, they're observing, they're studying your chaste conversation or behavior coupled with fear. Whose adorning then, let it be the outward adorning of plating of hair, the wearing of gold or putting of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. It's all, all a matter of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Here God is saying, here's a way that we can influence those that do not believe the Bible. By our submission. Now, submission's not silence. What is submission? It's saying the right thing, at the right time, at the right place, with the right spirit. What is submission? It's saying the right thing, at the right time, to the right person, with the right spirit. That's important. So, let's take... An example here. Let's say that pastor says something wrong. And as a public speaker, I have more opportunities to say something wrong than the average person. So, let's say that I say something foolish. And I do from time to time. My wife doesn't stand up in the middle of the message and say, What are you thinking? You're an idiot. What are you doing? That probably wouldn't go well. But what she does, and she does do this... Is she brings me into my office when no one's looking and say, honey, I think what you just said probably hurt someone. You probably shouldn't have said it that way. And what's happened is over these years, as my wife has come with that spirit, I trust her more. She's got influence on me. In fact, I don't want to use the word control, but. She very much has so much influence over me because of the trust she's built up, because of the way that she's responded. By the way, I'm not immune from stupid things. My wife can give you a list of things that you said, what? You know, some people sometimes imagine, what would it be like to be married to a preacher who's right with God and reading his Bible? It's harder than what you think. Because think of my poor wife. I'm her pastor and her husband. And she has to discern when I'm in pastor mode and when I'm in husband mode. That's hard. And the different things that are required and whatnot. 
But because of her meek and quiet spirit, I trust her because of the way she's approached me over these years. She's built up this thing. That's part of what God is saying here. That I will bless that. I will give you influence. I will help. That's what changes the husband. And that's what changes authority. As we gave you those examples before. What changed those authority. Those guards who were guarding those people who were going to the stake. It was that meek and quiet spirit. It was that we're trusting God the whole time. And the, other, the soldiers are saying I want what they have. But they just died on the stake. I don't care. If that's what I have to do. I want that. They have something I don't have. They have a peace. They have something. I want that. That's that meek and quiet spirit. This comes when we surrender and submit. Not fight for our rights. Again, this is hard. Because we like to fight for our rights. We like to go on. We like to put up our dukes and fight. Now again, I've tried to give an example. I'm running out of time, but this is important. But whenever I teach something on submission, now remember, as long as authority, they have the right to be stupid, they have the right to be wrong, as long as they're not asking us to do something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, we need to submit ourselves to it. Well, what happens if they want to submit? I have, when I taught high school, and I would teach on submission, invariable, one of them have a question. So here's a question they would bring up. What happens if they want to take away your Bibles? Well, praise the Lord, we submit. They go, what do you mean by that? Well, listen, submission is not silence, but it's submitting to the authority. So if they come and make it illegal to take away my Bibles, am I going to give them the Bible? No. But I'm still going to submit. You say, how does that work? I'm sorry, I cannot legally or morally comply with the order that you gave me. But I willfully submit to whatever punishments come. Because of it. I'm still submitted to the consequences. Because I trust God. It's that meek and quiet spirit. If it's something I cannot do. If it is not something I can do. It doesn't give me the right to rebel. We have never given the right to rebel. And fight for our rights. No we trust God. To get things accomplished. We trust God to use it. If we come with the right spirit. I'm sorry, <clears throat> the next time the government, Wisconsin, decides to close down churches because of the other things that are going on, I am sorry, sir, we cannot comply with that rule. We believe that it is unbiblical. However, I'm willingly submit to whatever you give me. If it requires a fine, then we're going to trust the Lord supply it. If it requires jail, by the way, it's coming in America soon. It's already illegal to preach certain things in Canada that I preach here. It's already illegal in there. What happens? It doesn't mean I'm going to fight against the government. It doesn't mean that we're going to hole up in the basement with a bunch of guns waiting for, you know, to see the white of their eyes. I'm sorry. I could not comply with that law. But I will willfully submit and not fight and try to kill you just because you give me. If that's what the punishment is, then I submit to that. And I'm going to trust God to make it right, to fix it. That's where we win influence with people. That's when we work with it. That's where God works. Now, because I taught high school, I'm used to objections. And so the next thing they would go is, but listen here. Our country was founded on rebellion. You ever heard something called American Revolution? I say, yes, obviously you have not. <laughs> because let me explain to you. That during the American Revolution, the founding fathers were submitted. Now, we understand that there were some rogue people like Samuel Adams. But you know that Samuel Adams was yelled at by the founding fathers because of his lack of submission? They had problems with him. That's why he was always separate. He's not necessarily considered a founding father because of his lack of submission. But the rest of the founding fathers had... <laughs> had always tried to submit to the authority of England the entire time. Let me quickly give you a quick brief history to prove my point that the founding fathers, as they were submitted unto God, were also submitted to authority and that they were not in rebellion. Let me give an example. All right, we know that the colonial charters were given by England, by the monarch of England, <coughs> that the charters that were given by England made the monarch of England their authority. Parliament was not mentioned within any of the colonial charters. 
Now, during the time of Queen Elizabeth, England allowed the colonists to rule themselves. But when King James II wanted to rule the world, he revoked the charters and made the king the owner of the territories. That was not originally how it was set up. But even then, the king was the ruler, not parliament. When the glorious revolution occurred in England, that's with William and Mary, you could study English history, they signed a Bill of Rights. The colonists officially had the same rights as the people of England. If you study the glorious revolution, that was in, um, <coughs> in rejection to the absolute rule that, uh, that <coughs> James II and Charles II had. And they, they forced William and Mary to sign a Bill of Rights to preserve the rights of every English citizen. The colonists were considered English subjects. They had the same rights as everyone else. We're going to find that the English government violated their own laws to uh, put down the, the um, colonists. Now, when England would go to war with another country, they would tax the colonists to make them pay for it, even if they were not involved. This, out of this came the theory of mercantilism. Mercantilism is an economic theory that said that the colonies exist for the existence of the mother country. And so <clears throat> they made it so the colonists could not build their own furniture. They would send their own raw materials to England. England would make the furniture and then sell it back to the colonists. And they had laws that said the colonists could make their own things, even though they had the capabilities here. In fact, it was illegal to even print the Bible in the United States. They had to buy it from England. And so it was such an economic control over the colonists, which was violating their own rules. All right, well, that's how it is. They just understood, but it was putting pressure on it. When the French and Indian War came, known as the Seven Years' War in England, uh, it was a war with England and France that spread to the New World. After the war in 1760, King George III was on the throne. Now, he needed America's full cooperation to pay for the British debt from the war. Their debt was $327 million in today's economy. And he said, you know what? The colonists need to pay for it, not the English people. And so the taxation came. Parliament voted that the colonists should pay for it. Now the colonists, of course, were not happy for it. Why aren't you guys paying for it? It was your war that started in the first place. And so that started to come with issues. Now when Lord Greenville became prime minister, he was determined to bring the colonies into subjection. He passed a series of laws to force the colonists to pay money and keep them subjugated. One was the Stamp Act of 1765. Now this caused the colonists to protest the Stamp Act with the statement, no taxation without representation. Most members of parliament believed they were represented, but parliament represented, because parliament represented all English people. But the colonists didn't have anybody sitting in Parliament. Now, eventually, the Stacked Act was repealed. But during that time, the, the colonists were, were, when they were protesting against it, were doing a legal protest. They were not throwing over stuff. They had a legal protest to get their stuff. Now, when Charles Townsend was the Chancellor of the Equator, meaning he was the guy who kept the finances of England, he determined to make the colonists pay their fair share. Thinking the colonists made a distinction between internal taxes and external taxes, he put a tax on all colonial imports, meaning that anything that was brought to be sold in the colonies was now jacked up in price quite a bit, hoping that those taxes would pay their share. Now, after this came the Boxton uh, massacre, which again was a misunderstanding. You had the colonists who were having uh, problems with um, <coughs> with the uh, British soldiers. Some kid threw a snowball, and next thing you know, everyone started firing you know, on each other. Now this caused a big problem because of it, uh, <coughs> um, because a lot of people believed that even though um, the colonists were killed, that the soldiers were got off scot-free for it. Now, when Lord North um, became prime minister, he repealed the Townsend Acts, except on tea. Now, the colonists began to form the committees of correspondence. These committees wanted to clarify to the world what was going on in the colony. They clarified that the king was their authority, but not parliament. 
they they sent all kinds of uh, correspondence to uh, the king saying, hey, we want to submit to your authority. We just need parliament to back off. We need them to fix things. We recognize your authority. If you let us to take care of ourselves, we'll still acknowledge you. We have no problems with you. Now came the Boston Tea Party. Now, the Boston Tea Party is where people say, look, the colonists rebelled. But this is where a misnomer came. The East Indian Company, which was one of the big driving forces beside the, the British government, they had um, trading routes all over, they started to become bankrupt. And what happened is that because they had such influence with the government, they also had this cheap tea that was... Uh, that they needed to get rid of. Now, because of the British people, they love their tea, and they could tell you the difference between tea dust and real tea and other stuff. They, they love their tea. To be able to give the worst tea to the colonists, now, because the East India Company was so much of a control and a factor within the British government, what they did is they forced the colonists to buy the tea out of taxes. Here is your tea. This is yours. Now give us the money. Now if the colonists wanted good tea, they jacked up the price to the good tea. So if you wanted the good tea, you had to pay an arm and leg for it. No, we gave you tea. Here's some tea for you. So the colonists were forced to buy the tea whether they wanted it or not. So in order to protest this mercantilism idea, the colonists boarded a ship and took what was technically their tea. And threw it in the harbor. Saying we don't want this stuff. And we protest being forced to take it by a government. If it's theirs. They have every right to do with what they want. They did not destroy. And they made sure of this. They did not destroy any other property. Except for what was theirs. And you could do. So out of a protest, they didn't burn down buildings. They didn't flash. They destroyed their own stuff. That did not cost the British government anything because they had technically bought it anyways. They were being forced to buy it. It's my tea. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? You see, even then, they were using <laughs> their own things. It's my tea. If I want to throw it there as a protest, then I'm doing it. That's not rebellion, it's mine. Now, this caused Parliament to pass another series of laws the colonists called the Intolerable Acts. Uh, certain things like quartering, that the British soldiers were allowed to force themselves into someone's house, and the people had to take care of those soldiers. Well, the colonists had problems with this if they're trying to take care of their own stuff, and now the British people are sleeping in their beds and, and eating their stuff and pushing them around, and they could do nothing about it. That's part of the Intolerable Acts. Now, in addition, the Quebec Act was passed, not allowing the colonists to settle past the western lands and making Quebec officially Catholic with a centralized government. Many people feared that this was going to be an attack on the religious freedom. So now the king of England is saying, hey, Quebec, they're Catholic. They're now in charge. This is the headquarters here. And by the way, you can't have any of this land over here. It's ours. Don't settle. You can't go past this. Now they're passing all kinds of laws. The people are afraid that their freedom of religion was now going to be impinged by the government. But even then, the colonists sent 42 pleas to the British government to settle the matter. They would send things to King George III, and he wouldn't even open them. But those pleas were like, please, we want to submit to you. Please help us to submit to you. We're British citizens, and you are violating the laws against British citizens. We're within the laws. Here's what the law says. This is where you've broken it. This is where the law said. This is where Parliament has broken it. They sent all these pleas. Finally, what happened? Well, in early 1775, most colonists did not want independence. But by the summer, they felt like they must. Now, again, at this time, they're still willing to submit to the king. Next came in 1775. What changed this? What changed the point of view of the colonists? In 1775, Parliament passed the Prohibitionary Act, which basically made America no longer a British protectorate. What they said is, you are no longer British citizens. They are the ones who said, we are not part of the British Empire. But they still forced the colonists to house British soldiers. Now England is a foreign government with an occupying force on our land. 
added to it, the British added Hessians, German mission, uh, mercenaries, to come to America to force the colonists to submit. More foreign invaders. So let me tell you, it wasn't the colonists who, who, uh, who fought against England. England said, you're no longer one of our citizens. Now we're going to invade you. So what we see here is that even here, the, the Americans, the colonists were not in rebellion. They were declared war on. In effect, in effect, it wasn't until the next year, 1776, that the Americans put the Declaration of Independence after a year being told you're no longer part of the British Empire. So we can't use the, the Revolutionary War as proof of rebellion and get away with it. Did God bless the Revolutionary War? Yes. But they were submitted the entire time trying to appeal to the laws of England, to the government of England, trying to say, let's fix this, let's work this out. It wasn't until England said, you are no longer part of the, the British Empire, but we're now going to occupy your land and force you to do things. Well, if we're no, long, if we're no longer one of your citizens, we're our own country by effect anyways, then get off our land. That's what changed the colonists' mind, was England... Declaring war on us. And now, because they declared war on us, now it's now a war. It's a different thing. It's no longer a submission thing. What are we bringing this in? Well, I'm trying to do is trying to say that God honors submission. And we need to be careful with the different things that we try to use to give us permission to rebel. We never have permission to rebel. God is on the throne. Can you trust him as for us as we're searching for revival the next step is god's given to us how is our heart towards authority when authority gives us something we don't agree with thank you for listening to this audio message this is pastor scotty bockhouse and i encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the lord if you don't know jesus christ as your savior let me beg you to take the time to receive jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.